This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Hello and welcome aboard the Paul Gallant Show on this Monday, a manic Monday, August 16th of 2021. I hate that song. It's by the Bengals. I used to hear it to open up every single week when I was a kid going Pretty to sure school. Pretty sure it's Cindy Lauper, isn't it? Maybe. Whatever the case, more dually behind the glass. It's terrible, and it makes me depressed about the long week ahead that we always have. But you know what? I'm not that depressed going in to this week, even though it's cloudy out and it looks like it's actually going to rain for the first time in a really long time here in Seattle. Because the Mariners, somehow they recaptured my attention. I'll be honest. Friday night, Mike Lefko and I, producer of Wyman and Bob, we were going to go hang out. You know, we're college buddies. We've, we've known each other for 10 years. So, Lefko wants to go to a bar that has the Mariners game on. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want it. No, sorry, no. Oh, but Paul, it's your job, said my conscience to me. No, don't care. Anyway, we go to a bar. Next thing I know, here I am standing up on the top of a bar stool getting really excited about, first off, a double play that was made in that game. But then, at the very end of the game, we got a walk-off. A walk Walk-off by one Jared Kelnick. Here's how that Space is loaded. Seager winning run at third. The 3-0. Way outside. Not even close. A four-pitch walk-off walk as Kelnick's doing cartwheels to first. Seager scores. Kelnick with two hands. Tomahawks that helmet down by first base. And he is getting bombarded by his teammates as the Mariners have one of the most thrilling wins of the season. Three to two, the final. They walk it off in nine over the Blue Jays. That's one of those games where you're biting your nails the whole way through, including at the end. And honestly, Kellenick's gotten really just a great eye at the plate over these last couple of weeks. And he, in situations like that, you know, you would think, hey, he might press. He's a young player. He wants to make that big play happen. Earlier this year, yeah, I, I think he would have pressed. But he's been so patient, and he's been so good at drawing walks especially in a critical situation like that. So you get the win on Friday. Then on Saturday, I'm watching the Seahawks preseason game. We don't learn a whole lot. They lose 20-7. to You don't see a whole lot of the offense, the tempo, all the things that you want to see. But the Mariners' offense all of a sudden decides to show up in a big way later on in that game. One out, runners on the corners, a 3-1, swing, socked, demolished, out to left. It is back, and it is gone into the bullpen. It's a colossal home run from Luis Torrens. Three-run home run. It comes in the seventh, and he puts the Mariners in front, 5-3. to three. On a hang time up to the moon. I'm a really big fan of The Sopranos. There's a line that's often repeated in The Sopranos. It's actually from Godfather Part 3. A movie I've never seen and a movie that I've been told I never should watch. But it's Silvio reenacting Michael Corleone in Godfather Part 3. That is my favorite part, perhaps, of The Sopranos. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. They pulled me back in. The Mariners pulled me back in this weekend. And to the point where yesterday, uh, Joe Fan sent me a text, hey, want to go to the Mariners game? Went to the Mariners game yesterday. Yeah, they got smacked around, and finally Logan Gilbert 
is the first Mariners starting pitcher after 13 straight games to allow more than three runs in a game. But, I mean, you took two or three against the red-hot Toronto baseball team over the weekend. I mean, that's something else. And it has me feeling like, okay, now all of a sudden overreactive baseball Paul is right back in. He is back in the mix. But my question is, did this really change their playoff chances? I mean, I feel a lot more optimistic, but going into the series against Texas on Tuesday, a team that has taken two or three from the Mariners the last two times that these two teams have played each other, I am wondering if they're actually going to be able to keep this going forward. The odds of them making the playoffs per pro baseball reference is like 1% right now. And given the stretch that they have down the, the rest of the way, not just uh, against uh, Oakland and against Houston, but also a series against Boston, they got 18 tough games left. And yeah, they're going to play the Royals, they play the Rangers, they play the Angels twice, they play the Diamondbacks twice. So that should allow them to fatten up, at least in principle. But whatever the case, even with football season actually kicking off on Saturday, I think it's really cool that this is the first year in a really long time that the Mariners should keep your attention the rest of the way. It's an uphill battle. Their offense is not very good. Their starting pitching has been pitching well above its head over the last couple of starts. I don't know how sustainable that is. And obviously, Logan Gilbert hasn't been the guy that he was early on this year of late. So, a lot of mitigating factors potentially the rest of the way. But how are you feeling right now going forward? Did this weekend Series W against the Blue Jays change your opinion of their playoff chances in any way? 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. That is the question of today. Text in. You flip-flop a lot. Yes. Yes. But you know what? Maybe flip-flopping over the goods and bads of a baseball team, maybe that's the way to go. Maybe that's the way to truly enjoy a baseball season, to just ride high and low, high and low. Because at the very least, it's sort of like a completely unstable relationship. And those are entertaining, even if they're toxic. <laughs> Maura's shaking her head. 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. The texter says, gotta admit, we were definitely switching to the M's game during the Hawks preseason game. But another texter says, ugh, more Hawks. Enough with baseball. We are hungry for Hawks talk. Fine. I'll talk about the preseason game. We saw a lot of defense. We saw too much defense, in fact. Look, some credit needs to be given out to, I would say, some players on the Seahawks defensive line. I really liked what I saw from Rasheem Green on Saturday night. That's a guy who I'm wondering if he's a lock to make the roster. I would say that it's more likely than not that he would make it. But he was, I think, the best Seahawks defensive lineman out there. And considering there's no Kerry Hyder and there's no Carlos Dunlap out there for the Seahawks, he played well. You got a good game out of Alton Robinson, who at one point, for some reason, was covering Zay Jones downfield. I don't know why that was happening. I hope that never happens again. But Alton Robinson was all over the place. Alton Robinson forced the one interception of the game that Ryan Neal was able to intercept. Neal played pretty well himself. We saw Ugo Amadi all over the field. He was playing center field at safety. He was playing nickelback too. And also, on the defensive line, I thought Brian Monet had a really nice game. At the same time, the Raiders had the ball for 40 minutes. And look, no, no starters played. This was a largely inconsequential game. But they were moving the chains, and they were doing it with Nathan Peterman, and they were doing it against Trey Flowers and Akello Witherspoon. And I don't want to be a bully here, because Trey Flowers had, ha, has had a very good training camp. 
But a lot of people are going to specifically focus on the one play down the left sideline where Flowers was in good position on Zay Jones, but he wasn't able to make the play. We talked with Brock Hewitt about that this morning in Blue 42. Almost guys. Guys who are around the right spot, but they're never quite able to complete the play. Flowers was at least in a spot there where he's not holding or grabbing or anything like that. But you need to make a play there, don't you? Yes, Peterman made a good throw. Nathan Peterman wasn't terrible in that game, which is interesting. I think there was a moment during the broadcast where Dave Wyman says, like, well, he's had a, you know, rough, and then he paused for a second, career. And usually when you hear, like, someone docking about a quarterback, oh, he's had a rough stretch of games. I just thought it was really funny that he paused and he just says, he's had a rough career. Yikes. But Peterman looked decent in that game. And I have some questions just about your cornerback group. With DJ Reed in there, okay, I feel a little bit better, but do you have guys that actually are going to make plays on the ball? And is that what you need in this defense? I would feel a lot better about having guys that fly up to the ball like a Trey Brown than I think I would with the guys that they had out there. There was this feeling of everything's in front of them, and they always were like a step behind some of these Raider receivers out there. And it was with Nathan Peterman throwing. I'm not concerned necessarily, but I think I wanted to see more out of those two in particular at cornerback. Outside of that, I don't think there's a lot of things that you can take away from this preseason game, though there is one thing I'm concerned about that I'll get to a little bit later. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show on 710 ESPN Seattle. You can watch it, 710sports.com slash video. I got my NBA Jam, Sean Kemp, Gary Payton t-shirt on. You can watch that. Uh, 710 app. We have one of those. Uh-huh. And you can also listen to us on the smart speaker. All the shameless plugs are done. The Sour the Fog Lodge show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Now it's time for What's Trending, brought to you by King's Heating and Air with Maura Dooley. Maura, what's up? That was that was a smooth transition, Paul. Yeah, it wasn't that smooth. Come that watch was... my t-shirt. <laughs> Look at my t-shirt. Well, I have a great t-shirt collection, and I know that some people, <clears throat> you, uh, aren't willing to admit that I have the you know, best sports fashion at this station, but that, that's fine. You know, some people are team players and other people, you know, they're if just going to be honest. If you want to narrow honest. it down to sports fashion, then I'll, I'll put you on the list. What's wrong with my tropical shirts? Don't they bring <laughs> levity to your life? They do. Well, another thing they can tune into the video stream and watch now. Every time I'm turning on my mic, Danny is showing up. So that's interesting. Oh, Danny's still, Danny's yeah, still there. Just a frozen picture of Danny every time I talk. I'm talking to Danny. It's a one-sided conversation. <laughs> All right, uh, we will get into one of the big topics we've been covering the most, Jamal Adams' contract situation here. Uh, As you noted during their Danny and Gallant show, Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk is already proclaiming that the Seahawks and Jamal Adams will not reach an agreement with this headline. Exasperated Seahawks plan to let Jamal Adams finish rookie deal, tag him twice if need be. But NFL Network's Mike Florio put out a report recently that's sounding a bit more optimistic than that. I'm told that Kevin Connor and Robert Brown, the agents for Jamal Adams, were spotted on the sidelines in Vegas the other night before the preseason game, having conversations with Seahawks upper management as both sides try to come to an agreement here on the finer details because... Again, they're close on overall compensation. It's really about the structure of the deal at this point as both sides try to find some common ground to push this thing across the finish line. And I understand that Adams is frustrated right now saying, hey, we really didn't make progress on talks until I got here 
for training camp, at which point the Seahawks said, we're not only going to make you the highest paid safety, we're going to do it by a wide margin and bump you well above Justin Simmons at the top of the market. And Adam saying, okay, well, let's have some dialogue back and forth. And the Seahawks saying, no, that's our final offer. That's where we push to. Adam saying, well, what about my final offer? As he tries to get that through. And then that's really kind of where things stop from a number standpoint. But keep an eye on this one because the communication is expected to continue. If they're going to make him the highest paid safety, I understand some frustration maybe on Jamal Adams and the way Garofalo laid it out of potentially not being able to pitch a deal that maybe would be a lot more like a safety plus kind of contract, maybe a little closer to some of the linebackers that we saw get deals this offseason. But I don't think things are as bad as they are being made out to be. And I would specifically point to Mike Florio. That line exasperated. If you read that, where do you think that that line is coming from? What good would it do the Seahawks through their back channels, through their private channels, to communicate with Mike Florio that they're exasperated? In fact, the odds of them, I think, communicating with Mike Florio, given some of the coverage that he's had of the Seahawks situation this offseason, are pretty low, at least to me. I think this is coming directly from Jamal Adams' agent. And it got me thinking about Kevin Connor, who is his agent, also the agent for Tredavious White. If maybe that there was some heated back-and-forth discussion between the Bills and Tredavious White before he signed his, at the time, highest contract in the NFL for a cornerback deal last August, excuse me, last September, there was about a month stretch where there was radio silence on the deal. White said that he might opt out for COVID-19, so there's no blueprint that we can really look back at, so maybe the acrimony is real, but I think that things are being made to be a lot worse than they actually are publicly for the sake of putting pressure on one party and another. This is how negotiating works. Don't let them play you like a fiddle. These media grifters. (laughs) The NFL Top 100 debuted last night with numbers 41 through 100 being revealed. KJ Wright came in at 67, Tyler Lockett was 76, and Quandre Diggs followed him at number 77. Believe it or not, it's the first time both Quandre Diggs and KJ Wright have even made the top 100 list. Good for Quandre Diggs. Diggs is a good safety. I thought, honestly, in 2019, he had a bigger case for making it because I thought he was a big, big transformative piece in the Seahawks defense first half of the season, second half of the season. Diggs as a center fielder, I think, is perfect for your defense. I think it's really funny that Tyler Lockett is one spot ahead of him, and I'm sure that there's some good-natured back and forth between them. I thought Lockett should have been a little higher up on the list, to be perfectly honest. 76 seems low. He dropped from 65 last year. Yeah, I would say that that's probably about the appropriate area. Good for K.J. Wright being 67. He has deserved to be acknowledged for that, and he played awesome last year. It's crazy that he still doesn't have a job. Right? More, if you had to guess off the top of your head, where is he going to be playing this coming season? Texter, ask that. Part of me thinks here. I still think that that's the, the highest chance. Yeah. Daryl Taylor in Saturday night's game, we finally saw him on the field. I don't think he looked bad, but I also feel like we're, we're being a little bit too hyperbolistic in the praise of him. He had a nice play on the sideline where he wrecked a guy, but I, I think you could still tell that he's trying to figure out how to best get after the quarterback he's really big into speed rushing and that works from time to time but it's not going to work all the time and I feel like at least from a pass rushing perspective that's something he's got to work on 
Um, I would also say, too, there were a couple of plays where he got a hand on a guy, but he wasn't able to complete the tackle. Neither of those plays would have been easy for him to make, so I'm not going to throw him completely under the bus for that. But hopefully game two, he's going to be a little more comfortable out there. I think it's important for him, though, to get that those first game jitters out. I mean, imagine not playing at all your rookie year. That's got to be really frustrating, especially when it probably came as a result of overtraining during the offseason. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show, the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. 710-710 is the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. We'll talk to Michael Bumpus about what he saw at the Seahawks preseason game against the Las Vegas Raiders on Saturday in just a moment. The question of the day, did this weekend series W against the Blue Jays change your opinion of the Mariners' playoff chances in any way? You get to answer that next, or if you got some questions about the Seahawks preseason, you can put them in there too. 206-421-3776 is how you call into the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. It's your chance to be heard. Your voice. Your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard. 710-710. Ooh. I love it when people use this word. Pulled you back in. They were never a strong playoff team, but you need to create... A fake narrative. Just focus on how well they're doing. Even with all the injuries, your outlook on this team is toxic. I hate the N-word. I hate narrative. I don't know what that means. This is how I react to the team day to day. Does that make me the best baseball fan? No. And I will admit that I am not the biggest baseball fan. But this is how I react to baseball teams. Especially one like this. Where you know there is a very clear ceiling. You're right. They were never a strong playoff team, and I'm enjoying it. I think that them pulling our attention back in with football season underway is awesome. I don't understand how this is toxic. Now, maybe I sort of like the ups and downs, and that is perhaps a toxic relationship for me, but for you as well, especially after 20 years of no playoffs. But it's been fun, and I I feel like they are owed your attention the rest of the way. 2020 Rookie of the Year writes another texter. Kyle Lewis is taking batting practice this week and add a little more to the lineup. Yeah, he was hitting home runs on Friday. That excites me too. You got to be careful with how you use him, but goodness gracious, they need another bat. I would like him at designated hitter for the most part, and I know that maybe would come at the expense of Luis Torrens, who's had himself a really nice weekend, but you got to be careful with Lewis. Especially after you saw what happened with George Springer in the outfield on Saturday night. If you put an outfielder out there and they are left to their best instincts, they are going to go all out after the ball. Even in the case of Ken Griffey Jr., if it causes injury. And there are some guys who maybe make business decisions in the outfield. I would, I would point to J.D. Drew as a guy who probably did that in the past. A guy who would never play if he was slightly less than 100%. A smart man, he's still getting paid. But I don't know that Kyle Lewis is necessarily that. And Lewis showed last year, I mean, he's a pretty good fielder. 710-710, that is the Mac and Jacks Brewing Company text line. Paul, if the Seahawks come out as flat in the next game as they did against the Raiders, should we then be concerned for the quality of our depth? I guess offensively you're concerned about the depth in that you don't want Russell Wilson to get hurt and you want that starting offensive line to be out there. Because the other thing that I, I saw in this game, Stone Forsyth struggled. To be expected, right? Sixth-round rookie uh, project he's a six foot eight dude that you look at and you're like yeah I like his size but what's he going to be able to do at the NFL level there's a reason he fell in the draft 
And I thought he didn't know what he was doing out there a couple of times. And I'm not just talking about the blitz. There were a couple of other plays where I felt like he, you could tell. And, and Ray Roberts laid this out on Twitter. I, I think he did a great job, Ray, on the radio call of the game. He laid it out really well. Like, the speed of the game, it takes a while for some guys to adjust to. And, and for Forsyth, I, I, he, he now knows how fast the NFL is. It is quite fast. It is not slow like Justin Fields was suggesting. That was rich. Calm down, man. You're playing backups. 206-421-3776 to jump aboard the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. Robert in Kingsgate. It's his birthday. Robert, what's going on? Hey, not much. I got today off, so I'm going to yell at you about some Mariners. Okay. Yeah, and it's my birthday. I made it to 50. Woo! Congrats. Gosh, Happy birthday. Man. Oh, thank you. Um, you're asking the question about the Mariners. How do I feel about them sweeping you, know, or not sweeping you, know, but winning the series from the Blue Jays? It's nice. But then I looked at the core problem with the Mariners, and it's our young group. We have, we're supposed to believe in these guys, J.P. Crawford, Evan White, Logan Gilbertson. And yeah, you should believe in J.P. Crawford, right? Come on. Uh, maybe Logan Gilbert I you do. have some questions about. Evan White questions are totally fair about. But uh, sure. you know, Kelnick's playing well of late, too. I, I just kind of feel that we don't have that one solid veteran that is, and I think the one who is about Mitch Haniger? be that person is France. Hi, that France. guy is a stud. Yeah, he's good. That guy is going to, he's going to help us out in the long run for the hitting. But besides Ty France and Mitch Haniger, who else do we have? But I mean, do you need to have more than you have right now? You know, I mean, if we're taking a look, Robert, at the actual trajectory <laughs> of, of, of this rebuild. And I know that that word ticks a lot of people off, understandably so. They don't need those veterans right now. Now, next offseason, that is a different story, and I hope that they bring in at least one veteran player of consequence. I'm not necessarily asking for the biggest, and appreciate the phone call, Robert, I'm not necessarily asking for the biggest name out there, but, you know, a couple of years ago, remember when Michael Brantley was available, formerly from Cleveland and Houston brought him aboard? Someone like that? That is definitely worth your time. Maybe a Marcus Simeon, who you saw, go yard for the Blue Jays. I believe it was yesterday. Maybe it was Saturday. I forget. Whatever the case, Marcus Simeon's a really good second baseman. He's going to be expensive, but I mean, if you can get power numbers like you get from Marcus Simeon at second base, isn't that worth $20 million a year? I think so. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Up next, Michael Bumpus joins me in the sports pit. Does he have the same concerns about the Seahawks cornerbacks that I am feeling coming out of Saturday night's game. What else did he see of note? We'll talk about the Seahawks preseason opener. Don't go anywhere. It's 1030, and that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness, you're going to get your, you're going you're to fail. With Paul Gallant. And joining me right now is Marathon Radio Man, Michael Bumpus, who I think has been on the air on 710 ESPN Seattle for like most of the last... 72 hours. Bump, what's going on, buddy? What's up, Gallant? I, uh, it's been a grind, but you know the grind, man. You're up at, what, 5 o'clock every morning getting it in. I try. I try. I press the snooze button a couple of times, though. I feel like I feel like the <laughs> 5 o'clock statement is maybe less uh, of an accurate reflection of when I get up than it has been in years past. But uh, Look, what did, what did you think about the cornerback play in Saturday night's game? There's not a lot to take away from this game, but Trey Flowers, I don't think he was bad, but there was a moment where 
looked like he had good positioning on Zay Jones downfield. He wasn't able to make it happen. Another play, too, Akello Witherspoon not exactly looking as emphatic coming up to uh, help out in run support as maybe you would like to see Seahawks corners. What, what did you think about those two out there on Saturday night? Yeah, you well, going in, Trey Flowers was my key hawk. That was the guy I really wanted to look at. You know, he's the third third or fourth guy in this cornerback battle, and uh, he was in great position. There was a couple of times where a receiver just makes a good play, quarterback, quarterback makes a good throw, and things just don't work out for you. But the plus is he was in great position. As far as Witherspoon, I think he, he's just knocking off the rust, man. And, uh, and, and that's okay. That's what these preseason games are for. That's why he's out there. Again, another guy who was in good position. And it's tough for this defense because, honestly, Paul, they don't get to tackle during the mock game. Yeah. Uh, during practice, you're, you're just running up to your assignment, tapping them on the hip. There's nothing like live reps. The Raiders have gotten live reps. And I think that's what we saw. We saw a defense that didn't have an opportunity to tackle guys yet. And uh, they're just getting going. So I expect them to be a bit more efficient against the Broncos this weekend. Speaking of live reps, bump, live bullets out there. I mean, geez, Geno Smith got killed. <laughs> One blitz off the edge, and hopefully he's okay dealing with that concussion. It did seem like it was a trial by fire for Stone Forsythe. And to be expected, I mean, he's a six-round pick, and he's, he's out there at left tackle in his first ever NFL game. But... Definitely a, a, a building. He's got a lot of work to do after that first game. Yeah, he looked like a rookie, you know. Uh, and a lot of rookies look like rookies their very first game. And there were things that the quarterback could have done to kind of help Forsyth in that situation, slide the protection. Uh, Geno just didn't see it probably. But, yeah, Forsyth had a tough day. But he's going to get more reps this weekend, and you have to be patient. If you get everyone back on this offensive line, you sign Dwayne Brown, everybody's healthy, you're not going to depend on this guy. So that's the plus. Again, he's a professional. I'm sure he beat himself up. He watched that film. Solari's going to get him right, and let's see how he improves this week. What star shined brightest on Saturday night? And, of course, we didn't really see any star players, any starters, really, for the Seahawks. I did see Jordan Brooks out there for a lot of the game. We finally saw Daryl Taylor in action. What was the thing that you liked the most on Saturday night? Man, it was all about that defense. You see guys like Rasheem Green causing havoc. You have Daryl Taylor um, playing in a new position, causing havoc, forcing guys into sack. Cody Barton had two sacks. Ben Burkirvin had 12 tackles. I mean, they were the highlight of this preseason game that second half they got things going the offense struggled a bit in the first half but that's expected when you're playing with offensive linemen who don't really have any chemistry you got quarterbacks who haven't gotten a lot of reps so it was all about the defense man all those guys I just mentioned made plays and and that's what you want to see Alan Robinson made some plays I mean this defensive line I feel like is going to be the key to this defense so to see these guys get after the quarterback and have these linebackers cleaning up uh, that's what I took away from that preseason game it's all about the defense the offense will get going. You didn't have your starters out there. I believe it will be efficient eventually. Is that important? Do they need to be out there, the offense? Because it, it did feel like this was a game where when the offense even was on the field, they were really struggling to get things going and especially trying to establish some sort of tempo. Hard to do that when you're so often three and out, three and out. Yeah, it is hard. And it's hard to to build chemistry, you know, and – when you don't have your number one uh, signal caller out there at the quarterback spot, uh, things just aren't going to flow when you don't have your number one options on offense. You know, when you can't run the football officially until the second half, you're going to struggle, and that's what's expected. I never expect an offense, especially when they don't have their starters in, to go out there and be firing 
and just looking beautiful. That's just not going to happen. Now, you see guys like the Chiefs who had their starting quarterback out there and made a couple plays. You have the 49ers who had their starting quarterback out there made a couple plays. Different strokes for different folks. This Seattle organization offense, uh, excuse me, Seattle organization doesn't want to put their starters out there, and I think that's okay. But week two, I think we'll see a glimpse of those guys. A guy I was really hoping to see was Colby Parkinson, and it really stinks that whatever foot injury he had last year, he, he seems to have re-aggravated. You, you've dealt with foot injuries before. What do you think Colby Parkinson's going through right now? Uh, man, it's tough. I actually have the same injury this guy has. You break that fifth metatorsal, you put a screw in that foot, and you just hope for the best. And that was a blow, man. I saw this guy really contributing this year. Uh, he was making plays in the red zone across the middle of the field. With this new offense, I think that's what you have to do. You have to be able to execute across the middle of the field. And why not be able to throw the ball to a six, seven guy um, who you can just toss it up and grab it? I feel bad for the kid, but um, at least it happened now. There's a positive behind that. And I feel like we'll see him week six, week seven, hopefully. It's typically a six- to eight-week injury. But, yeah, it's a blow to the offense. But, thankfully, you still have Disley. Thankfully, you still have Gerald Everett. And someone else is going to have to step up. Injuries do happen. That That is a shame for Colby Parkinson, though. You're, you're right. I mean, training camp, he was really looking good. Uh, K.J. Wright was 67th bump in the NFL Top 100 list, which is awesome for K.J. Wright, though it's unfortunate that he is still somehow looking for a home. He has not been signed by anyone yet. And a couple of questions. This is the listener question of the day. Hey, Bump, not just K.J. Wright is out there, but also Quinton Dunbar. Do you see the Seahawks signing both of them? Another texture. I have a gut feeling the Seahawks are going to incur an injury and come to regret it if they don't have K.J. Wright on this team before he gives up on them and signs elsewhere. I'm confident they'll regret it at some point in time this year. We finally got to see Daryl Taylor in action, but being reminded of how good K.J. Wright was with that number 67 ranking bump, I am tempted. I am tempted to, even though there are other contract situations that the Seahawks are looking at, to decide that, you know what, bring him back for one more ride. It is a possibility, Galan. I think that is what, if KJ were to come back to this organization, someone would have to get hurt, someone would have to get banged up, and then you just go back to uh, what's been consistent for you, and that's KJ. But at this point, um, I don't see him coming back anytime soon, but it is attractive. He's still available, and I'm sure he's holding out hope, too. He wants to be in Seattle. He's still training here. He wants to be a part of this team. But the fact of the matter is, this is a young man's sport, and when you have a younger guy who's cheaper, who's doing some things that maybe KJ wasn't able to do at the point of his career, you have to give him opportunities, and that's what it comes down to. But you never know. Guys get banged up. Um, guys don't play well, KJ's right around the corner. One last question for you, Bump, and this has to do with the return battle. You are a former returner. Who do you think has a leg up right now? We saw Trey Brown have a nice return. DJ Dallas looked good out there. At least as far as these guys, the ones that were actually playing in the preseason, who do you think is maybe making the strongest case to be the number one return guy? Man, it depends on what we're talking about. If we are talking punt return, um, I think DJ Reed is still in the mix, even though he wasn't out there because he's reliable. John Ursua had his shot back there. Didn't work out well for him. But in that kickoff return game, I think it's multiple guys. You saw DJ Dallas, who had a good day behind there returning. Trey Swain was back there. Right now, I would say it is DJ Dallas just because they're going to need a fourth running back, a third running back back there. And if DJ can help out on special teams, that's going to give him the edge. So going off the of last week, I'm going to say it's between DJ Dallas and Freddie Swain because we know, or at least almost 
100% confident that these guys are going to be on the roster, so they have to contribute on special teams. I loved seeing Dallas tight up the sideline on that touchdown. That was that was sick. Beautiful. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, Michael Bumpus, you can hear him with us every single Wednesday and Friday on Danny and Gallant in the 8 o'clock hour, but you're hearing him all over the place these days. He's a hard-working man. Bump, we appreciate you joining us. We'll talk to you again soon. Hey, appreciate you going. Have a good one, man. You too. Michael Bumpus, at Michael Bumpus 5 on Twitter. It's Danny and Gallant, 710 ESPN Seattle. To this weekend series W against the Blue Jays change your opinion of their playoff chances in any way? What team can they realistically overtake the rest of the way to? You answer that next. It's the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Mariners pulled me back in this weekend. At least into having hopes and dreams. I would say 5 to 6%. Rough calculation with zero thought put into it. That's what I feel like their chances are of making the playoffs. I think they have a pretty good chance of, ch- of catching Oakland. And I know Oakland's five and a half games ahead, and I'm not saying this is a very likely chance, but I think of all the teams in front of them, I mean, that's the one that you have the most control over. The rest of the way, the Mariners are going to play the Oakland A's nine more times. Five and a half game difference. Okay, that's one way to make up that ground. If you do well in those series. But also, look at the upcoming series for this A's team that after a seven-game winning streak lost two or three to Texas, who is annoying a bunch of teams despite being a minor league baseball club. That makes you feel a little bit better about the Mariners of late. Up next, at the first place, White Sox, a four-game series starting tonight. Then this weekend, three-game homestand against the uh, San Francisco Giants before two games against the Mariners, and then four games against the Yankees. They have a nice little break against the Detroit Tigers. Hopefully the Tigers do what they do to the Mariners after that. At Toronto, the White Sox again. Texas, Kansas City, the Angels. Okay, that's nine games in a row where you're feeling pretty good. But then they wrap up the season with 13 games against the Mariners and Astros. There's a chance to overtake Oakland. I don't think it's a great one. But if I think if you're looking at any teams that are ahead of Seattle right now, they have the kind of schedule that they could easily have some pitfalls with. And on top of that, they play you the most. And you're 6-4 and four against them somehow thus far. It's a nice start. They're not some team that's completely loaded with talent. Honestly, they've been struggling at the plate, I would say, compared to the other American League's best, the real playoff contenders. I don't know if you're going to be able to catch New York. The Yankees are playing better of late. And I feel like if Oakland falls off, that's the team that's probably going to slide into that second wild card spot. But Oakland, I think, is catchable. 710-710 on the Mac and Jacks Brewing Company text line. You can tweet me. At Galant says, Craig says the Mariners are winning the World Series this year. That would be neat. Uh, another texter. You shouldn't be allowed to wear anything Seattle. Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, I paid for it. This is America. Feel like I'm allowed to wear what I want. This person also wants me to take my shirt off. It's a strange request. I think he's trying to make me take the shirt off because he doesn't want me to wear Seattle things anymore. More, it's not because he wants to see my extremely pasty uh, chest. Yeah, let's keep our clothes on in the building. Okay, I just wanted to double check. 
listen, it's the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. It's a weird road to go down. <laughs> but if that's the road that they want me to we go do down. We have lines. We, we won't cross. Exactly. We have lines. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, another text, 710-710. The Mariners started last week four and a half back, took two or three from the team directly in front of them, and are now five and a half back. No, they won't be making the playoffs. That was sealed a couple of weeks back. Too much ground to make up. I'm with you in that they're likely not going to make the playoffs. That's why I say 5%. I do think they can catch Oakland, though. 7-10-7-10. This series against the Blue Jays showed me that we can't score over three runs on a consistent basis, but we have to score five-plus. I think there's good potential to get into the playoffs, and before this series, I wouldn't give them a chance. Uh, that's how I feel. I thought it was done. Now I'm now my interest is back. Again, I'm the most overreactive, probably worst baseball fan ever. I don't know if I show a whole lot of loyalty along the way. Whatever. I am who I am. I'm honest about it. Uh, this texture continues. What I want to see is more games like the 9-3 winning as the Blue Jays going forward. That's the problem. That feels like the anomaly. Because it took you a lot of time to get things going on offense. The other anomaly was you had 13 starts in a row. 13 where your starting pitchers allowed three runs or less. I mean, that's, that's something else. And they deserve a lot of credit for that. But it was bound to blow up in their face sooner or later. And Logan Gilbert, who has cooled down since I thought a really nice middle of the year, after settling into a groove after his first like three or four starts or so, he is starting to look like a young pitcher who's figuring out that it's really difficult to maintain that kind of play, uh, that kind of pitching over the course of a whole year. You have guys adjusting to you. And on top of that, I would imagine endurance, stamina, those are things that for a now first-time starting pitcher in the majors, they're more of an obstacle for him than they probably are for some older players out there. 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. I am a lifelong Mariners fan. From the very first team, thick and thin, good and bad, mostly bad, but I'm a baseball fan and this is my team. To the, this to, to me, <clears throat> this year, it's not about making the playoffs. But they're sure making it fun, playing good baseball, are competitive, and in every game. I would agree with you on that. It's very rare that you see them get absolutely bludgeoned. I mean, yesterday, yeah, that stunk to see live. Luckily, there were no, there were few Blue Jays fans there. I wore an American flag uh button down on the off chance that there was some trash talk potential with some Canadians out there. Uh, did not happen. Did not see a whole lot of them. But this texter says, they're competitive in every game, which I agree with, and they're learning to win. A culture is being established, and I like our direction. Next year's expectations will be higher, and they should make the playoffs. But uh, they should make a run this year, too. Anything can happen in baseball. Kansas City won a World Series a few years ago out of nowhere, so you never know. Whatever happens this year, it's been fun, and we're getting our money's worth. Go M's. I like that positivity. And I think that's the best way to look at it. And I think that they've earned your, their, your attention the rest of the way, including in the midst of football season. And I did not think that we would be saying that. And who, who thought that we would be saying that this year? And I think the culture of winning thing is interesting because you could make the argument that Jerry DePoto threw that to the side with the Kendall Graveman trade. I wouldn't make that argument. Because I feel like they got better bringing in Kendall, uh, not uh, bringing in Abraham Toro and trading for Diego Castillo and getting Tyler Anderson as their fifth starter. I, I do feel like they got incrementally better. But to get rid of the guy that's a big part of your culture, that's, that's where it gets a little bit tricky when you're talking about the actual culture itself. But it's important that they are not going through this season in the same way that you would see other rebuilding teams do it. 
like the Baltimore Orioles, where they're barely not, they're barely trying. You know, they're like, all right, well, let's get a good draft pick. They're not doing that, which is which is good. Loser juice is something that ferments, ferments, and you saw it happen with the Philadelphia 76ers, I thought, even if that ended up being a playoff team. I mean, that team, I, I think, never quite learned the kind of accountability that's necessary to be uh, a great team. Just take a look at Joel Embiid and the shape that he could never keep himself in. Big thanks to everybody who tuned into the Paul Galan Show today, to Michael Bumpus, who stopped by in the sports pit, to... Maura Dooley, who produces this thing every single day behind the glass to our texters, to Robert. Happy 50th birthday, Robert. And our tweeters, I am merely Paul Gallant. So long, farewell. Have yourselves a wonderful Monday. Jake and Stacey are next.